sit back, relax, and enjoy the warm sounds of the Beer Engine podcast with Griff and Tony. Hey, what's up, everyone? Griff here, another episode of the Beer Engine podcast. Winding down the year, uh, a year of unbridled uh, happiness and joy, of course, throughout the world. Um, not to mention uh, sort of a nothing but flawless, uh, flawlessly executed jokes and uh, perfect, perfectly edited content from your friends Griff and his partner. You've seen him in the news this week. Uh, he is the ex-husband of... A little lady named Christy Smith, uh, uh, ex boy, ex girlfriend, I guess, of Pharma Bro Martin Shkreli. He's the guy who bought a Wu Tang album or something, I think, and also made an AIDS drug like nine million dollars. Um, Tony, it's Tony Smith. <laughs> that's his name, right? I think that's nobody knows what that guy's name is, so it might as well be Tony. How you doing? Look, I'm good, but I would like to get you to forward all the uh, correspondence in regards to my um your ex co- no it co- what was it the gwyneth peltrow line and chris martin they didn't divorce they had a conscious uncoupling yes conscious uncoupling that's good i can't believe you able you're able to pull that out that's amazing <laughs> so i would like you to direct all your inquiries about our conscious uncoupling at least it was on my end. I'm not so sure whether she yeah, was conscious. I'm not conscious. sure how conscious either either of you were, I'll be honest. At least I, she doesn't seem like she was particularly conscious at this <laughs> point. But Look, the, the the lady makes good decisions. Like I'm clearly an upgrade from her ex-husband. Um, look, I've been really successful. I've got in trouble with the law. I'm going to be the next Donald Trump. I don't know. I don't remember which one you are now, actually. Are you the ex-husband or are you Martin Shkreli? You're Martin Shkreli now. He's doing characters again. Now he's Martin Shkreli. No, no, I'm I'm, I'm Martin Shkreli the whole time. I was just... Okay, he's... You are aware that Martin Shkreli, well, I as Martin Shkreli, have have left this this, um, individual at this point. Of course. And the relationship is over. And that is the conscious uncoupling that I was referring to. Anything that she had going on with her husband was between her and her husband. And maybe it'll be back between her and her husband. Maybe you'll take it back. Who am I to say? You got to wonder. You do have to wonder. Um, now, Martin no, Martin Shkreli, clearly a sociopath, right? A beyond, you know, not to, not, to, not to play diagnostics here, but I'm going to. I mean... Clearly associated. Yeah, or is he actually a psychopath? Potentially, sure. I mean, yeah. not, I'm not smart enough to decipher the the meaningful differences in that for for the purposes of this um, analysis. But uh, essentially, one's a oh, learned behaviour and one's a um, once you you're born with it. And I think yeah, he's one, a guy yeah, exactly. that was kind of born with it because he was an asshole and and doing nasty shit from day dot. Yeah, maybe maybe he's a psychopath, and maybe maybe she's a. I actually wonder if uh, she doesn't carry some of the same genes. I'll be honest, uh, or the same, or maybe she has the learned behaviors. Because uh, you wonder if um, you wonder if you're able if you uh, make make the conscious decision to uproot your life for I for what I can only assume is uh, a, a desire for for power or um, money or class or, or whatever, 
um, if you don't have some of those broken broken uh, things too. Although already, welcome welcome to the resistance, Christy Smith, who has already been I'm sure already getting called a girl boss all over Twitter every every seven seconds. So uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm the asshole. I guess I'm sure I you probably are. am. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, <laughs> That's that's all the uh, I I did read that story. I don't recommend it. It was clearly a con. I, I once I got through the story and thought about it for about five seconds, I was like, "This is book sales." Um, it uh, it feels like it was a ruse the whole time. And then putting out the like follow up twenty four hours later was another ruse. And so she's already back on the market. If you thought she was hot, you know, send her a text. All right, I don't know. Maybe she is. Uh, not my not my type, honestly. So, um, but Tony, actually, I think you. I gotta be honest. You're much better looking than Martin Shkreli, who looks like a hobbit. And her husband, I, I saw a picture of him. He actually looked a lot like Martin Shkreli. So she clearly has a type. Um, and he was like a finance bro. So maybe it's just like uh, straight up uh, antisocial behavior. Uh, rich freaks, I think, must just be her her target demo. So rich weedy freaks, depressing. by the sound of it, because he's not a guy that's built in any way. Yeah, you might have too much personality, and you might you might just be a little too ripped for her. Honestly, you might be a little too shapely. Um, so uh, Tony, it's uh, we're coming up on the new year. I hope everybody had a delightful uh, Christmas or Hanukkah or um, certainly any of the number of other potential holidays you you may or may not celebrate. Um, the new year, per the Caesarian calendar, anyways. Not to not to uh, you know lock anyone in again my again my obsession with time just a, a running thread of this show caught up in the in the in the structure and and uh, uh, uh you know the, the the pointless parameters we place on our our day-to-day lives but the new year is is approaching 2021 oh man this 2020 year it's going to be over man what a horrible year am i right what a nightmare I mean, for other people, I, I guess it was just fine for us. It, whatever we were, we nobody, neither of us got sick, right, Tony? I don't no, think you got sick. Right? No, no, didn't even have a cold this entire time. So, I've I've felt great. Well, no, no COVID. I will say that no COVID, no no communicable diseases. You've got your issues, of course, because you're just breaking down as a, a thirty whatever year old you are these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of I'm course. falling apart. I got the diabetes to deal with, so the, and that was my best impression of, of Wilf, Wilford Brimley. The way he says diabetes, and that was a Diab- terrible impression. The diabetes. Uh, no, I can't do it. Um, yeah, so you know, we're what do we have coming for next year? I don't know. We're going to talk a little bit about that um, later on in the show. Some of our predictions for the beer uh, uh, world, and maybe even for uh, this podcast. Uh, in fact, for, for the coming year. And uh, I did want to point out that uh, for next week's show, at least this will be the goal, is that Tony and I will be hosting the first annual Beer Engine Podcast Awards show, unnamed yet. Uh, so we'll be... I like your uh, name for it. Let's go with your name. Yeah. Let's go with... Perfect. The I mean, Nailed it. The drippies. I love the drippies. Yes, the drip. We will be uh, straight dripping some awards into uh, your your waiting, loving ear holes uh, next week. Uh, have not decided exactly what those categories will be. You can imagine some of them um, are some of our favorites, some of our least favorites. We'll be going over. If you have a nomination you would like to send us, 
hit us up on Instagram, send us an email, uh, beer engine show at gmail.com. And then, uh, like we've been saying at the beginning of every show for the last few weeks, get us on discord, you know, send us a DM, send us an email. We will add you to the discord and you can, uh, contribute to the conversation going on there. So we actually got some predictions, um, for the coming year from a few of our fans. We'll talk about those, uh, in a little bit here, but, um, Tony, I thought we'd jump right to maybe hearing some of your favorite beers from from this week. Tell me how your week went. What kind of stuff were you getting into? Sounded like yesterday, based on the text I had on my phone this morning, which I believe uh, said something pretty poignant. Uh, sort of a deep thought, if I if I've ever heard one, which was uh, uh, so drunk. Luckily, I'm a pro and can back up tomorrow. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, so that was, uh, <laughs> Tony, Tony, uh, thankfully was able to, to join us today. Thank God. But, uh, he, he did get very drunk. I would love to hear more about what you were, what were you, you were taking down last night that got you into that state. Well, I had friends in from Melbourne because unlike New South Wales, which is now a, a disease pool of Corona. I think there's 60 active uh-huh. cases in, in New South Wales. Victoria oh only, God. only has seven in hotel quarantine and that's it. So our Christmas wow. is getting back to a COVID normal Christmas, as it's being called. So we oh, can, ours is too, but there's still COVID. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I can actually meet up with friends and be relatively safe considering it's a, a state of five or six million people. And sure. the fact that there's nothing active outside of hotel quarantine, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take those chances. So we were able to meet up and, of course, my local bottle shop has done their, their hard work over the, over the holiday season and they've got in some phenomenal beers. And I had some amazing beers. Some of them um, I can kind of tell you about because they got very late into the half dozen beers that I actually had. Okay, you say half dozen beers and you think lightweight, but all of these beers came in between 9.5% and 10% because they're hazies. What else are you going to do? Or they were pastry stouts. Like, yes, they're... Honestly, seems light for pastry stout in, in my world, but yeah. uh, I'll, I'll, let it, I'll let it slide. It, it was on the lighter side and it poured out like motor oil. This wasn't something where you needed a spoon to get it out of the can, but it was mm-hmm. delicious. Mm-hmm. And so while there was other good stuff like physical damage from deeds, the number one, oh, yeah. of course, was a deeds pick. It's kind of like my mini burial. You know, I love them. Um, and I'm just trying to find it. It's the breakfast of Kings, which is a, a double pastry, they're calling it, but I would just call it a straight-up pastry stout. King of breakfast. Mm-hmm. A breakfast of kings, sorry, by Deeds Brewing. Sure. Um, and Sounds it, good. It's coming in at a four-point-something on Untapped. All right. Now we're talking. Now we're in the – Now we're into the. that's pretty good for Australia for sure if it's yeah. even hitting four. Huh? 86 check-ins, 4.22. Nice. Well, that sounds delicious, Tony. You were—it's that time of year here to be hitting hitting the pastry stout hard. Um, I did want to comment on two beers that I had this week that I had not talked about. One of them you had been interested in, Tony. You—you uh, you had been um, interested in the uh, in the cherry brandy benthic. Oh yes, very uh, much so. you had wondered how uh, that would go down. I only had one can of it. So 
So I'd kind of been sitting on it a little bit. Uh, cracked that one with Kelly last week. Uh, absolutely delightful. Just enough cherry, like, uh, essence, I would say. You know, it sort of had yep. like cherry, not ch- cherry extract is the wrong word, but it's, it's, it's sort of that cherry almond type flavor that you might get from a, from a cherry that doesn't have any tartness, right? Sort of, if you pulled the, the tartness out of a cherry, you would just get this sort of like nutty, woody cherry essence flavor that was very yeah. delightful from and, it. And I do find it when people do things with, I'm not saying that they left the cherry stone in them, but it's probably the remnants of the cherry stone. Um, that often gives that nuttiness, I find, with, with cherries. And I know what you're talking about there, that sort of um, almond, um, yeah. frangipan kind of flavour. Yeah, sure. Um, with with cherry overtones, of course, but, yeah, some real nuttiness behind. That sounds delicious. Um, does this change your view on Brandy Barrel or just this particular beer because Benthic is so well made? Because you yeah. you're adverse to most other spirits other than bourbon. Um, but Hey, this one sounds so like I've, it's, it's really good. Been having a lot of success with the, with the brandy barrels this week, yeah, these last two weeks, actually. Um, well, let's say longer than that. Cause I, so Oren from half acre is partially brandy barrel age is a blend of bourbon and brandy barrel old ales. That was delicious. Um, Mineshaft Gap, that was one of the Rev beers I, uh, that our friend Tyler, for me, um, a couple weeks ago. Mineshaft Gap is cognac barrels, so, a sh- you know, a short distance between, I mean, I believe cognac and brandy. Cognac is brandy in a different, you know. Yeah, form. Manipulation, isn't it? Yeah. Right, yeah. It shows what I know about any of this shit, right? Um, that was fantastic. Can't beat that. That that might be as good as that beer's ever been. Um, I've always been a little hesitant with it, but all of a sudden that 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 beer has really popped to me. And then the cherry brandy bent that came out nice. And I don't think it has any cherry content. I think it's using barrels that were cherry brandy barrels. So it's a very light cherry flavor. I mean, it is not distinctly fruity in any way. And that's why I say it just has this like breeze of cherry woodiness or something you know what i mean just like a little extra sweetness um i mean it's not like it's gonna it's not gonna be that easy for the hints of fruit to stand up to you know how many fucking mountains of malt and coconut and coffee and all that shit that's in that beer i mean it's gonna be you you would really have to like effort that into more um to, to really appear a ton, but it, it, it mellowed it out nice. It had a unique dryness to it compared to the only bourbon version. And uh, so I've had success with the brandy barrels. I will um, like anything else, right? When it's a trusted brewery, when it's a brewery, I believe in, I have a lot more faith in their ability to work with these sort of um, more unwieldy, I guess, less forgiving spirits barrels, like gin, like, Brandy, um, I have not had a good tequila barrel beer yet, so we're not going to include that. But gin, <laughs> brandy, rum even maybe. I haven't loved a lot of rum barrel beers, but I've had a couple that have hit all right, you know, or have mixed it in nicely or have back blended well enough that they can, that they don't taste like fucking straight Malibu. Um, so uh, I, I would say if you get the right brewery, it's a good brewery. It's one that has consistently made great beer no reason they shouldn't be able to use those types of barrels and do it well, right? I mean... Yep. 
I just wonder whether tequila would be suited to sourbees. Um, and because perhaps because of that, it's not suited for aging. So, yeah. That's where it's the most successful here, I think, is people yeah. making like tequila barrel gosa or something along those lines. I mean, yeah, that sounds that's delicious, probably your best but, bet. But I'm a tequila drinker. The um, other thing I w- would say that perhaps why Australian brewers have had more success with rum, maybe I like rum more than you do, but yeah. the other thing could be we have quite a few rum distilleries here in Australia. That's sort of our our niche of of distilling is we do rum and so our big two breweries is um Bundaberg and I'm not sure if they're still around but Bean Lee and they were two um rum distilleries so the rum beers I've had uh, certainly don't give off that that Malibu vibe which I've I've had in other beers sort of that sunscreeny kind of thing um yeah which isn't um necessarily pleasant but um Maybe it has to do with the the quantity and quality of rum barrels that we get here versus what you're getting in America. I'm positive it does. I would also argue that rum has has a distinct enough um, uh, there's there's something uniquely distinct about rum compared to bourbon. Maybe it's the difference in how they're made. I would say right. So bourbon and beer share a lot of characteristics, right? They they um, we I'm sure we've talked about this before, but they um, are. Uh, made from grain in fact for one um and uh uh sort of have these um kind of sim when you think of stout and you think of good bourbon you think of a similar flavor profile right you might back in the back in the olden times when we would drink imperial stout of of old um in uh hundreds of years ago when imperial stout might taste like things taste like vanilla it didn't have vanilla yes. in it it had notes of vanilla. it had notes of tobacco it had notes of leather it had it had a natural caramel flavor to it right these beers carried these flavors in in their most natural state bourbon has those flavors Yes. Bourbon can taste like caramel. It can taste like tobacco. It can taste like leather. It can taste like wood. It could, you know, smoke. All that stuff can appear in bourbon. So marrying those things makes sense. Doing it straight up with rum, uh, I think is is just it. It sometimes clashes to me. And the most successful ones I've had, and maybe this is why Australia is doing it better, or or not. It, I, I'm just making this up. Yeah. But the best ones I've had take a lot more care in blending, uh, which is true with bourbon barrels, but bourbon barrels, again, just can forgive more, right? You can yeah. much, it's much more likely you could accidentally dump something out of a, a stout out of a bourbon barrel and have something that's fine. You know, uh, rum, you gotta, you gotta be even in that stuff out, <laughs> man, because you're going to get a mixed bag of, of stuff from that, I think. And I, the best ones have back blended with fresh beer. Yeah, um, I think you're enough right fresh beer to cut to cut that like rum burn, you know. Yeah, I think you're right there in the fact that rum is very very straight ahead in the fact that it's that it's hot, it's molassesy, it's minerally, it really is rum. Like it doesn't when you are sniffing a good rum, you're not bringing a lot of other flavor descriptors around it like you are say a whiskey where you can you can sort of add more because there is more complexity going on it's very one note it's very straight ahead which um plays to its advantage um 
in I think you can get better quality lower priced rums, but I'm positive you can. Yeah, yeah rum but, here sucks. I mean, it's a Bacardi. <laughs> you know what you want? Yeah, and uh, the majority of Australian rum is dark rum, so we're talking um, no no white rum really. Um, light light sort of caramel notes in colour. This is not in flavour notes through to really really dark colours to. And it depends on on which rum you get. Depends which barrels it's been into. Not all of ours goes into oak. Some of ours goes into Australian native woods for a small portion of its yep. aging. Um, and I think that, that stuff is all blended together. So maybe, yeah, I, I really don't know. Maybe I just like rum more than you, and I I, I like that straight aheadness. Yeah, you might just like it more. Or I mean, we do. I've talked about this before. The wrong. A barrel-aged beer in the wrong hands, no matter what the barrel, is is dangerous to me. Uh, it, it 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 can it it passes the eye test of uh, wow. I love the idea of this beer until you get to um, trying to taste it, and it's the same with food, right? A beautiful dish in the wrong, you know, with the on the wrong cutting board with the wrong chef behind it is uh is problem is not going to be good right you're not going to get the same result you can spend a thousand dollars on a crayfish and somebody else can be be spending two dollars on a roast chicken or 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 a, a full chicken sorry and you can have drastically different experiences because of exactly. how they treat that ingredient and i don't think brewers get enough respect in that regard um they don't yeah because it's we spend way we spend way too much time talking about brewing and not enough time talking about tasting i mean that's that's always been right and you can see it in the marketing of beer you look at even the breweries that i like they always now list their hot profiles some of them list their their malt bills down to eight or nine different malts that they're using um even some label the yeast strain they're they're they use which is great for a, a nerd like me who's done some home brewing and tries to replicate <laughs> some of that stuff but sure. does that really help out your enjoyment of the beer does knowing that it's got some some crystal mold in it really make a difference if it's delicious oh yeah no yeah i mean it depends on who you are but uh not me i mean i'm too stupid to i mean depends right uh one other beer I did want to talk about, Tony, this week is uh, speaking of knowing everything that's in a beer. This feels like you know everything in the beer, but it's just because the ingredient was just so damn long. It's my burial check-in of the week. Uh, it's a beer called a Menace- The Menacing Aura of a World Believing in Nothing. Uh, it's a 15% super pastry stout. It had, uh, Tony, it had roasted pecan, Madagascar vanilla, coconut, Thai banana and maple all in this beer. It was a collaboration with the eighth state brewing company, a brewery, which I loved back in the days when I was going to Greenville, South Carolina, um, which feels like a hundred years ago, but really it was only about eight or nine months ago. Um, uh, this beer was absolutely fire. There's nothing more really to describe it. There was not a ton of nuance to it. It tasted like all those things. I love pecans in beer. Pecans taste great in beer, um, and it was very, very, very good. I agree. But did you get much of the banana flavor? Because that's something that can either go really right in beer or it can go really wrong. Often the banana beers that I've really enjoyed have been purely yeast-driven beer rather than banana as an ingredient. Yeah. I would, I would say it was not as uh, – it was different. So this – so Thai banana is not going to give the – 
I don't know. Bananas probably taste a lot different where you are than they do here. I'm I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it bananas where here you buy, have buy them from because if yeah. I'm sourcing them at a local greengrocer's, they are genuinely this season top quality Queensland grown. Or even if they are getting them imported, they haven't been in cold storage. You go to a supermarket and bananas taste like nothing. They're, they're just sort of yeah. starchy and, and sweet. They don't have a banana flavour, yet the other ones I get at yeah. the greengrocers distinctly taste of banana. I th- think there's there's something to this, the new strain of all, all the strains of bananas have been so, like, manipulated over time yeah. that apparently they just don't taste anything like they did. And I'm not smart enough or old enough to remember a time where they tasted that much different than they do now. But I bet if I tasted one from 20 years ago, you know, not obviously a 20 year old banana, but (laughs) uh, if I tasted one from 20 years ago and tasted it next to one now, I'd probably be able to tell the difference pretty easily. Um, It's just that it's so gradually shifted that my brain can't process the the small moves. And with a Thai banana, I would assume it tastes like something totally different, probably in the family of what I would expect for a banana. But I would guess it's a, it's a, it's a, what was the, the thing Krusty said about the spider? Think a spider, but smaller <laughs> and with more legs. I think this banana probably has some of the similar qualities. Yeah. Um, and it, it, a long story short, I would say it didn't taste like I was eating an American banana. It had fruity, like sort of a tropical fruitiness, but a lot of it sort of just intermingled with the coconut. Um, uh, and there was so much other stuff stuff in there that the banana I don't think cut was able to cut through as much like with maple and coconut and vanilla and pecan in there. I think that kind of dominated, to be fair, but didn't bug me. Yep. Um, I just wonder whether these um, are, are very similar to a ladyfinger. Um, bec- yeah, that's or, what I would think. I don't know. I was just doing some reading and that wasn't helping me, but. Um, the ladyfingers that we get here. Yeah, it's a smaller banana for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they look like little um, little finger-sized, yeah. swollen finger-sized bananas. Um, yep. And you almost eat them when they're black because you allow the skin to mature in them. The skin affects the inside flesh of the banana very differently. And I'm a big fan of them. They're something that we can get um, here in Australia quite often, but you do have to let them look like they've over-ripened to, to have them yep. at their peak. I mean, plantains are a little bit like that too, right? I mean, if you're, you're obviously not going to even eat one raw, but you kind of have to get it like into a state to you and get the damn thing open. So Tony, uh, you put something on our show notes here that I wanted to talk about before we get into this, you know, kind of reviewing the year here. Um, and, uh, this is a great question. You, you wanted to ask about, you know, yesterday, it sounds like you had been, you had been drinking and, uh, you, Wondered if we should be rating beers when we're hammered, and and I have very distinct thoughts about this, but I'd like to hear from you. Why? Did, how did you come? How did you get to this point? What were you thinking when you uh, were rating beers yesterday, or not? And uh, how did you kind of arrive at a at a state you wanted to be in when you were when you were coming up with this here? Well, my my thought really was the first three beers. I have I have clear thoughts on how good those beers are. The fourth and the fifth, I know that they were good. I don't know where they they slide between a four and a five. The first two, I know exactly where they they sit. But the Mm. three, four, and five, very, very hazy, but I know that they were 
and I mean hazy in my own head, they were also hazy in their appearance, um, were very high up the scale, but I, there's a whole one point difference in my mind of where they could have come, but I wasn't able to sort of comprehend that difference or articulate how good it was. Just everything was fucking delicious. Now, um, by the sixth beer, no chance of rating that sucker. So I, I don't know whether you only rate your early beers. I only rated my first two or you don't rate them at all and you wait to have them again or you just go full bore at it and, and rate them when you're hammered. Um, so I, uh, I got to say I tend to rate them um, no matter what. Uh, just cause I click the button, I would say never take my rating seriously. I've told, I've told everybody this before I'm actually looking up one of my favorite drunken ratings, but one of my favorite things to do when I'm a uh, pretty, uh, rip roaring drunk, something that hasn't happened, uh, boy in a, in a hot minute, uh, is to drink some really shitty beer and five and five star it, uh, of course. So I'm just looking for some of my reviews of, of Coors Light where I'm just saying like, yum, you know, and I'm just like ripped, totally ripped. And some uh, Genesee cream ale, some hams. Yeah, Genesee cream ale, sure, hams, yep. I will just five-star that shit all day. Heineken on and draft. And when I'm drunk, I'm a, fi- I'm a five-star uh, addict. I will five-star anything. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't, to me, untapped, untapped, um, I guess, uh, 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 judiciousness, I guess, uh, untapped, uh, equal, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. You know, uh, if you're using, if untapped is the, uh, is the only way you can find out if a beer is good or not, then you might be, you might be barking up the wrong tree. And frankly, my, honestly, my rating shouldn't have very much impact on it anyway. So it doesn't matter. There's enough ratings out there. Yeah, um, I agree. I don't think, I don't think it's necessary, but, um, I don't care. I'll rate anything. I'll probably change the rating later when next time I check in that beer. So if I checked in a Coors Light, five stars, and then the next day I was out drinking a Coors Light, I'd probably look at it and be like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> it's one star again and it'll go back to normal. So who gives a shit? You know, um, it doesn't really matter. But uh, I get what you're saying, Tony. You don't want to, you don't want to just start. I mean, honestly, I get that way after a tired palate with IPAs, right? I don't want to be trying to figure out like what's going on with this beer. If I've already had three hazies and I'm on the fourth one, I'm like, well, how, how the hell am I going to know? You know, the only reason I was sort of worried about it was not for what other people will think. I don't think anybody following me on untapped really cares what I'm saying about beers or, or cares about my rankings or I don't even buy, buy into the global rankings. But if I go to a bottle shop or a supermarket and I see that beer again, sometimes I want to look at my untapped to see whether it's worth buying. And at the cost of some of these beers, a four is not good enough for me to rebuy it. Um, oh, sure. And that's really the only only time I refer back to it. So maybe I shouldn't be so critical. Like if I make a couple of purchasing errors, no big deal. No harm, no foul. It's still a four scored beer. It's not a terrible beer. My memory, my my memory is a little better. I think I, I feel like I, if I have a beer that I didn't really like, I sort of just have that recall. But I guess when you're drinking, you may not. And hell, hell, I've, I mean that sometimes that just doesn't matter. I don't really like Coors Light, but I ke- I have so many. I can't believe I have so many check-ins of it that who would ever know? You know, uh, I keep <laughs> buying it. I haven't. I, I I keep fooling myself into thinking I will like a Coors Light, but. 
Which, hasn't which you yet. probably do if you're around the right people. It's a thing we talked about, I think, before on this show. At least I was talking about it with my friend um, the other night, and that's the Italian um, table wine that people bring back because they, sure, they yeah. think it's amazing. And and when they come back to America or come back to Australia and they're they're just around friends and family and they're not on holidays, it doesn't taste that anywhere near that same quality. Yep. A Coors Light will never taste as, as good as it does in the in the Bally's pool. Uh, sun getting sunburnt in August in Vegas, um, drinking them out of the screw top resealable cans in a bucket uh, where they were doing like um, blue light specials in the Bally's pool is I would call it the least sexy pool. Um, That's fair. One of the one of the least sexy pools in Vegas. Yep. And uh, they do little blue light specials where they're like, for the next 10 minutes, uh, buckets of Coors are, you know, $14. Yep. Whatever. Yeah. So you'd scurry up there and get your bucket of five uh, resealable tops. You can let them float in the pool. Kind of cool because uh, they're resealable. So very good. There you go. Now, what do you think about those resealable cans? Because they blew my mind. We don't have those in Australia. The, the, the can bottle hybrid thing that cores do and some of the others do like that blew my mind. The first time I saw it, the be- the beer is terrible. And, and the, the second I drank one, I was like, Oh, so disappointing. But I was just, did the packaging suck you in when it came on the market? Cause I don't think it's been around for 20 oh, years. I would not have chosen these if it hadn't been the thing that was in the bucket. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you if you've become the guy, and my dad was this way, God bless him. I, I don't think he is anymore. I think he may have sort of like. So this was this was 20, 30, 25 years ago before before we probably knew we really even had a grasp of, of this stuff. And there, I'm sure there are people still like this who are are very caught up in the quality of the pack the beer in the packaging varies, right? So yep. a Miller Lite in a bottle. Uh, versus a Miller Lite in a can versus a Miller Lite on draft have different qualities about them that will make one better than the other. Uh, I would argue that you either just like drinking out of a can better. Fine. Don't care. That's great. You know, if you like drinking out of a can better, me too. Sure. You know, Um, or you like the flavor of draft beer. Uh, I don't know if uh, you like drinking out of a 16 ounce pint glass better. Okay, fine. You know, but I, my belief is that the only reason any taste difference ever appeared there is because they drank one that was like six months old and one that was one month old or something. Right. And there's no, there's no equivalency there to tell you, uh, you know, that to tell you like how old these beers were, especially in, in the nineties. Yeah. Um, I am not with cheap beer, especially the packaging is, is nothing. I don't care. Whatever package you, you got, which what's the cheapest yeah. package. Hams. I don't give a shit. You know, just give me it. <laughs> <laughs> now that's not I mean, that true. Cost per ounce. You know, I'm I'm like my wife in that regard. You know, I'm I'm looking at the price. Okay, well, in a can, it's six cents per ounce, and then I, I don't give a shit. You know, just give me yeah. the give me the cheap one. And that's true of those beers, but but higher end beers, um, it does matter, especially with a shit ton of hops. But with with macro lagers, yeah, it doesn't right, matter. Right, yeah. Um. I, I like cans. I, I I still think they travel better than bottles, even at a macro level. I I think that you get less oxygen, you get less spoilage. But compared to a well maintained draft line, I think there's 
essentially no difference other than one is in a glass and one is in a can. Now, um, we can get into a whole thing one day about drinking vessels and do they make a difference? And I'm a big believer in yes, they do. Does every beer need its own glass? No, unless you're in Belgium. Um, But drinking out of a nice glass is a much better experience than drinking out of a, a shaker pint. Yeah, of course. Yep. I think that's fine. I think that's true. And I think if you like one or the other, I think that's fine too. But the content, all things being equal, you get a bottle of Miller Lite, you get a can of Miller Lite, you get a draft pour of Miller Lite, all from a freshly uh, filled, you know, vessel. Yep. You're going to get the same thing, right? As long as one hasn't been sitting in the sun for minutes that it's existed it doesn't matter you know yeah yep um there's really no difference but none of that stuff it is equivalent so it doesn't matter i'm um, just going to choose the can because i'm more likely to drop it and then yeah, I, I would make the can me- too. I, I am also more likely to drop it so yeah, <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter uh i'm picking the can every time almost every beer i drink right now is out of a can pretty much it seems like um so tony uh you, you were able to get hammered yesterday. One of the big things I've talked about this whole year is that I have um, just getting hammered has not been part of my uh, day-to-day life. I feel like we got in the ballpark when we did our uh, Black Friday or Black Wednesday um, party. I had knocked off a good handful of beers, but that was about as close as I got. So I thought we could do a quick sort of um, review of, of, of 2020, uh, what was drinking like for, for you, for us here this year? Um, I've talked a little bit about this, how sort of the, the, I've, I've entered a very straightforward beer routine, but, uh, I don't know. What about, what about you? Have you sort of fallen into a, a beer day to day? Have you, uh, do you have more of a, are you a little more spon- spontaneous than I am? What, what has drinking been like for, for you this year in, in sort of in and out states of, of quarantine? Okay. I'll give you sort of the evolution of my beer drinking. Um, before um, I would do the majority of my beer shopping at the Dan Murphy's, which is the big box Binnie's equivalent store. And so as we started to take the virus seriously, we went to online car pickup um at Dan Murphy's. So therefore I was picking craft beers off their website. It may not have been the stuff that I, I picked up um, normally, but I wasn't browsing in the shelves. So there, there was sort of a different quality to the beer there. Um, and because I couldn't inspect dates on packages, it was sort of more about um, having stuff that I, I know could, could last the journey. Sure. And so in saying that, I would say other than yesterday, I've had (laughs) 99% of my beer in one of two places. That's my home or my sister's home because they were our bubble. And that's it. They're the only places I've consumed since March. And anything before March doesn't count in 2020 in my view. So no, that was last year. Yeah. yeah. So they were consumed in these these places. They were always take home. I haven't done the patio thing like you, but then um, my beer habits evolved as we got clearer guidelines in Australia. It's a wonderful thing having guidelines. It makes a difference at the end of the mm. day uh, about how we should handle, how we should mask up, how we should um, 
they put in sneeze guards in in supermarkets, things like that. Masks are still compulsory in supermarkets. Um, they've got distance stickers Good. on the floor. All that sort of thing was implemented. I felt more comfortable going into a supermarket. At that same time, I was introduced um, to my um, manager of my local bottle shop in my hometown. So I went to actually consulting him for, and he would tell me what is fresh, what is good that he's had, um, what the reputation of the, the brewery's like, what it was like for him to get his hands on the beer. So it became a much more personal experience. And therefore my drinking habits changed. I always go in and buy a mix pack now. It's It may be beers that I've had before, but it will be two of one beer, one of another maybe three of something else. Before, it would just be a four-pack of this, a four-pack of that, and then I'm out the door. But this is much more about single buying. Um, and I like to, if I don't have enough craft to be do- drinking, and I say craft, just non-macro stuff should be the sure. distinctor right. I make there. Um, if I don't have enough non-macro stuff to be be having two of those a night, well, then I'll then I'll split it with Oatinger. Oatinger is my, my cause light, but... I find it really easy drinking. Um, and that is essentially my year in a nutshell. It, it's, it's more diverse than most other years. It wasn't just whatever IB, IPA had become this year. There was XPA. There was a bunch of sours. Sours were big for me this year. Um, pastry stout, gloop, hazy, hazy, hazy. Um, yeah, there, there, there was variety though. Yeah, um, I would say this has probably been my favorite straight, like, sort of beer year. Uh, if I think of everything, if I remove everything else from the equation uh, and just think about the quality of the beer I drank over the course of the year, this is about as good as it's ever Agreed. been. Agreed. Um, uh, I would say the most memorable stuff for me this year is the the burial discovery that they would ship me beer um, at a, and, and frankly, the shipping got cheaper as the year went on in that it, they've, they've continually improved their shipping rates, um, in, in, to even the point, the last couple I've gotten either free or $10 shipping, um, wow. from North Carolina, which is pretty amazing. And they're loading the, the, those boxes up. <laughs> um, so shout out to my buddy, Nick, who, who would get in on those, uh, orders with me always sort of made it a little, a little easier to, uh, to stomach the shipping cost. Those beers are amazing. That was a, a fantastic discovery, and the fact that those beers are so available is is mind blowing to me with how how good they are. Um, I would say the Tavor thing. Tavor was really something I discovered last year, but became much more important in terms of you know being someone who likes to travel and likes to try beers from places that I typically wouldn't be uh, around. Uh, that opened a lot of doors for me. Uh, too, especially with international beer um, and even stuff like Belgian beers, and of course, Tavor was my main source of gloop. So we we had to get had to get all those um, showing up. Uh, just a heads up, you can get on our gloop channel at on our Discord, and you can look at some of the nasty gloop I've been drinking lately. Some some real nasty looking cloudy shit right there. It it really um, is um, quite off putting if you're just looking at in, in isolation. <laughs> if you don't know what it is and how delicious it is, seriously off putting the way it the way it sort of mucks up the glass and oh, yeah. it looks like it looks like bird bird mama barf type stuff. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, so those were really 
burial and burial and Tavor really made up a lot. And, and I would say the third pillar and the most, maybe the most important one to having this great year of drinking has been the, I think really, really it happened a lot last year, but I think the, the major rediscovery of, of lager I've had in this house, um, which is just that we've been able to have really fresh, high quality, traditionally made lager available in our house all the time. Um, a lot of times you get one or the other, right? You get fresh lager, but it was yep. loaded up with fucking American hops, or you could get traditional lagers, but they had come over on a boat or a plane. And uh, now that we can have both in cans from Metro, from Dovetail, um, held delivered to my house by the Dovetail lager, lager man, um, that that really sort of um, opened opened a, a lot of doors for me. And frankly, I drank a lot less this year was the other thing I wanted to say um, for the, the quality was higher. The volume was lower, which I think is just a product of not being in bars and wanting to keep hanging out with people. You know, you just sort of, you always stretch it out another beer or two if you're hanging out with pals and uh, it's uh, been beneficial for my health for sure. Um, at least. So we'll take that. I do miss hanging out with our friends, so I would give back a pound or two for uh, a, a chance to pal <laughs> around with our buddies. But um, that's okay. We'll take we'll take what we can get. Maybe we need maybe we all just needed a break, huh? Um, but yeah, those are kind of the core things for me: burial and Tavor, and then um, you know, really this this big this big pop with with Logger has really has really made me happy. So that's that's sort of the highlights here. It's it's been great. It's been, it's been a good year for beer, a terrible year in almost every other respect um, for almost everybody around the world. I can't complain, of course, and, and really probably Tony can't no. too much either. We've had, uh, despite our country being in a total, uh, you know, consistent and steady decline, and that won't change anytime soon, of course. I haven't talked about that lately, but hey, we're, we're focused on beer here, of course, as people know. Um, but uh, we've... Um, We've had a, it's been, you know, a lot of people had to deal with a lot of horrible things, uh, dealing with people being sick, people dying, uh, uh, living through, uh, job loss or, uh, certainly losing their businesses or losing their homes and all that other stuff that's going on with no assistance from our ass backwards, shitty government. Um, you know, me and me and Kelly and and certainly Tony and Brian and all of us have been pretty fortunate, I think, during sure. all this stuff. So um, we had great beer and we had a pretty decent year and we really shouldn't bitch too much about it. But certainly, um, we know that that was not the case everywhere else. So we're not. Uh, I'm only going to brag a little bit about how good my fucking hazy IPAs were this year, and they were good. I will say. Um, so Tony, I thought we would jump out of the, the, the doldrums of 2020 we'll jump back into them next week when we do our, our awards, but uh, let's start looking ahead to 2021. I want to do a quick rundown of some predictions and then I've got a fun little game for us to play. Uh, we'll call it a game. We'll call it a segment, whatever we want to call it, but it'll be funny. We'll laugh. Um, so Tony, give me uh, want to run down your a, a couple of your predictions or all of them. That's fine for 2021 in beer. Um, uh, let's speed through these, Tony. Let's say uh, you got, you got four minutes to run these down. <laughs> we, we don't need four minutes. I've got four. The timer sim- is going. Yeah. Four simple predictions. 
Um, my first one, cookie beers will become a thing. So <laughs> rather than pastry beers, it's all going to be about choc chip, um, fluffernutters. Um, no, not fluffernutters, me- snickerdoodles, which you've talked about, but it's all going to be themed around the cookie. Are they going to be any different to a pastry stout, really? No, but it's new marketing. They need to expand that market. It's their most profitable mm. market. They're going to continue to to hammer away at that. So that's Hit pretty- me with a ginger biscuit beer. I would I would be all over a ginger biscuit beer. I like ginger, though, so maybe it won't be popular, yep. but I'm, I'm, I'm on top I'll, of that. I've got a beer for you, and that's the uh, other form of the, the macaroon, the, the Jewish form, which is a coconut-based biscuit. Yeah. Yep. Okay, the other prediction um, that's towards the top of my list, and I know there are already a few of these styles out there, but this is about trends in 2020, lower alcohol hazy beers. Everybody's loving them. Everybody's drinking them. Again, a big profit maker. You can charge almost the same for a 4% hazy as you can for a 7% or 8% hazy. I think we're going to start seeing that and people are going to eat it up. Uh, He's right. The other one is neo-traditional styles of beer. We're starting to see a comeback with West Coast IPA in a new form, but it is still West Coast IPA. It's got some some more pleasant aspects to it. It's not racing towards that 100 IBU, rip your face off bitterness. That won't be the only style we see. We'll be seeing a resurgence of old ale. Um, I think ESBs will make a comeback. I think... They'll be named old styles, but they'll have a slightly new twist on them. And the last one is that tap rooms by the end of 2021 will be back bigger than ever. And I won't say better than ever, but I think people will be desperate to go out and socialise and therefore they'll be back in business bigger than ever. Agree with all those. I think I buy all those. Maybe the cookie beer one is a stretch. I think they, I'm not sure they'll get their own name, but I, I do. I would not be surprised if we see. I did have a burial coconut macaroon beer. And the only other one I want to react to, well, I, two of these I want to hit on. Lower alcohol hazy is out there. It's not a big trend yet. So I think you're on the front end of it. But, I, but Bissell Brothers does make a beer called Baby Genius. It's a 3.3% hazy pale ale. And if you're drinking it on a fresh palate, like a like a clean palate, yep, it is awesome. I mean, <laughs> it's right there. I mean, you it is it is thick. It is like strong mouthfeel. Like it's got some body to it. I'm sure they sell it for twenty bucks a four pack. Too, I'm so sure they right do. There too. Um, I think the Neo Trad styles of beer on Tavor today. An ESB popped up from um, Stormbreaker in Oregon, so you might be on the front of that. It was a five percent ESB though, so that's not too bad. But that's what I'm talking about. It's not going to be like an English ESB at four point two. It's going to be taking the best of what we're doing now, but but mating it with the best of what was of that style. There really are some American hops you could pop with an ESB too in an interesting way, you know. Yeah, um, and then. Uh, I think the tap rooms, I think tap rooms might change. I think they're going to be, I think the good ones will make, will start to twist their model a little bit um, and certainly try to add some more character. Uh, That's my hope, but we'll see. What what do you mean by that? Adding more character. A lot of our tap rooms here in Chicago are empty garages. I would say. Yep. I think the expectation, um, 
uh, well, maybe it won't. Maybe people will just be willing to go anywhere and eat shit and drink average beer in a big empty garage. But I do think that the really good places are going to make sure that they're competing at the tap room level too, where they're, I mean, half acres always had a nice tap room. Uh, off colors always had a beautiful tap room. There's other good brewers here in town that don't have tap rooms that meet that kind of aesthetic, that quality, yep. that sort of, uh, you know, quality and consistency throughout their whole business. I think I could see, um, either they get left behind or they catch up. Um, yep. so, uh, I, I think that's going to become more urgent because these breweries need tap rooms back here, especially they make a lot of their revenue from tap room sales and they've had to balance their sort of margin a lot differently now. Um, so I think, I think that's going to change around here at least, but I think you're right. I do think people are going to be thirsty, you know, thirsty for each other and also thirsty for, <laughs> for beer. All right, Tony, here's my predictions. Mine are a little too stupid. Um, yours are a little more concise. Uh, Here's my first one. Tony, I think wood age loggers are not going to pop next year, but I think you're going to start hearing a lot more about wood age lager. I think fooder age lager, wood fermented loggers, barrel fermented loggers, um, loggers and wood are about to have a, whether it's a comeback, whether they're going to hit, whether they're going to, um, they're going to start to appear or, or appear around the corner or what I think wood age lager is, the next step in the logger evolution. Now I like it, but does that mean Firestone Walker are going to be beaten in the quality of beer they put out in that particular style? Cause that's kind of what they're known for. Not so much the wood aging portion of it, but the, the wood fermenting and the fooders thing. And they their um, I forget if the name of Fire, it. If Firestone wants to make a wood aged uh, conditioned or lagered, Pivo pills or something, maybe not that, maybe like a Hellas. Yep. Uh, I'm sure it would be the best one. I'm not going to argue with that. Pivo pills is amazing. So, so you're specifically uh, talking more about wood age rather than wood ferment or I a combination think, of all. Well, all I think lager is the difference. So, Pivo pills is stainless with Firestone. They do oh, theirs on stainless. There you go. I mean, so they do a lot more stainless beers now than they ever have. Of course. Um, so, uh, if Firestone wants to get in, I'm sure they have some some beers in that game. Yep. But uh, with lager, they haven't done quite as much, at least not in my mind, right? Not stuff that I hear a lot about, at least. And I think this stretches into strong lager, too, so Bach beers. So I think you're going to start seeing more. These exist already, but I think yep. you're going to see a more, avail more availability, and you might even see the first hype lager release. I could see Ooh. a hype release of... A, someone's bourbon barrel aged ice bock or doppelbock or something hitting and uh that we have our very first hype logger uh in 2021 that would be that would be something i, I could see happening for sure very interesting um so number two i think gloop is going to i'm not going to say it's going to um disappear it's not going to disappear but it's going to settle i think gloop is going to um is going to stay flat. We'll say, how about that? Uh, in terms of market share, I think, I think people are sort of glooped out. I think gloop has become too proliferated and I think there's only so much gloop that can be, um, that can be enjoyed in, in this country. So I think, I do think gloop is going to shift a little bit. I think my hope is that 
the, the joy people get out of drinking fruit beers, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm going to guess is going to happen starts to shift into what we'd say are more like neo-traditional fruit beers. Yep. So, um, things like American, you know, we're not going to call it Lambic. We're not going to call it, you know, Crick, but we'll call it, you know, inspired by, you know, Lambic type of, um, fruited, fruited sour, fruited Saison, um, things like that, that have sort of, um, more traditional uses of fruit, because I think we've proven that, uh, these beers are, are, you know, fruit beers are well liked. Uh, how can we develop the taste more? And frankly, you can make a Saison of much higher quality for a lot less money than a beer with fucking 20,000 pounds of cherries in it. Um, very, very malt true. is cheap than cherry point out, you know, <laughs> malt is cheap. A lot of it. I hope that happens. Uh, Cause yeah, I'm a big fan of, of complex base beers, non-fruited base beers. And yeah, if that's, that's a part of that, that whole move where you're adding complexity through time or through, through process or through, one of the key core ingredients of brewing, I'm a big fan of that. And especially if they, they so, take their, their, their cues from sort of the, the pillars of, of those styles. So these ones I can't prove out. Well, none of these I can prove out as being right or wrong. So I could say I'm right either way. This one I definitely can't. Uh, I think next year there are going to be more cease and desist lawsuits than there ever have been before um, for – We've seen a ton of it already between just this stupid podcast. We've seen Waffle House beer and, um, you know, all Sonic beers, and Cherry Limeade beers. And just today I drank a beer called the Great Blackstack Bake Off with a straight up ripoff of the Great <laughs> British Baking Show um, logo and with a fake BBC logo on it. It was very funny. It's great beer, but we're going to see a lot more of that stuff come to roost, I think, because people are going to start getting too close too close to the fire on this, especially as it starts to grow. So I think we're going to see even more litigation on this next year. See, I thought you were going to go into detail about our, our legal troubles that we've specifically had on this podcast, of course, um, with our um, overlord. Well, I, I of course, uh, expect um, no further litigation from our uh our bosses um dj collett and megan trainer uh they of course love and respect our work now uh, as we know and are reaping uh you know nothing but uh profits from all this well-produced content that we're we're spitting out so what do they have to complain about anymore huh um i'm hoping we i i would lo- like i've said if we get a lawsuit next year It'll be the best year ever. Um, so let's, let's see if we can pull that off. I'll, maybe we should turn our logo into like a straight rip off of the Mark Marin show or something like that. <laughs> Spin it around. Um, so this fourth one, maybe I was a little tipsy, but I, I crossed out something that says there will be a hype blogger release. Um, and then I just put the, the beer engine podcast will become the most popular beer podcast on earth as consumers are bored by industry minutia. Well, shit, we just talked about industry <laughs> minutia for like three minutes. That, that um, was well, a, hopefully next year we do less of that. Huh? That was a very, very verbose way of saying pinky. We're going to take over the world. Yeah, exactly. Well, I hope we don't, uh, I hope we don't bore all of our, our listeners with all this uh, boring beer talk, but, uh, 
I was looking at a few beer blogs today in preparation for this show, and I cannot believe the garbage that people want to read about beer is absolute lunacy that people give a <laughs> shit about like you know oh my god the the seltzer market only makes up 42 percent of what it did you know three months ago and so i'm like why do you care you're fucking sitting in your mom's basement ordering milkshake ipa who gives a shit you know give me a break <laughs> <laughs> um and the last thing i have here and i'm, I'm going to keep this from not from turning into a rant is that I think the business of beer is going to have to reckon with itself. And I think it's coming sooner than later. Um, and it's already come for a few of these breweries, but I think that, um, in a, uh, era that is hopefully more worker aware, boy, fingers crossed, right? Labor aware, culturally aware, culturally sensitive, appropriately and aware of its surroundings more than ever um beer if it if beer considers itself an ally to i guess what what we would say an ally to the proletariat we'll say right which i think it always has it considers itself the beverage of of the proletariat right um then it has to continue to share its values right and beers that craft beers at a turning point where it has to decide if it shares the values of the people who work to drink it and, and, and do drink it and work for them and work with them to create it. Or does it share the values of the people who have made it for the last 150 years in ivory towers? Um, and they're going to have to live with, they're going to have to sort of start to make, um, make do make realizations of of what they are going to be my my fear and partially my expectation is that they will choose the the path of you know most profit um but you've seen some breweries that have made better choices places like hill farmstead places like new glaris that have made better choices than you might have expected from breweries that produce that consistently that much and with that much quality. So, um, maybe we'll, maybe we'll be fortunate and we'll see better behavior. Um, and I think, you know, there's more to this on the cultural side of it. You know, how much are we willing to open our doors to other cultures rather than dragging them, kicking and screaming into what we've decided the white guy beer culture is. Um, I think, I think we've, we've got to make, um, we've got to deal with that a little better as well. But, um, Next year, I think it's it's going to start coming to a head when people have more time to think about this rather than just barely scraping along like we have been this year. I think beer is is well overdue for um, having to deal with with its with its problems at some point here. Yeah, I agree, and I, it it may start on an individual by individual basis. We've seen that with with Surly, and but it will it will it'll ripple all the way across the beer industry and. It, when it starts affecting the bottom line, that's when the choice will be made. So if it's more profitable to go with a nuclearist model, we'll see more business go with that that style, those sort of decisions. But by the same token, if Surly record record profits, you can almost be guaranteed that there's going to be 50% of the craft beer world that becomes less diverse in every aspect in the beers it's making in the clients it serves in the staff it employs um in the decisions it makes and i'm not just talking everything about being corporate but you will see much shallower decisions being made and i think that'll make the beer world a lot poorer 
if it goes that way, if the reckoning shakes out and it does go that way. For sure. I, and I, I, another time I would love to talk more about, I don't have a great, a, a very coherent thought about this, but um, about the, the culture of, of beer. And, you know, I think we've, I think a lot of uh, probably very smart people have made an effort to try to be more, make this culture more inclusive. But my fear with that is that instead of making our, making the culture of beer um, inclusive of different types of cultural impact. It's simply said more people are welcome to take part in our crappy culture that we've built, (laughs) (laughs) which is maybe imperfect. I would say, right. Um, That's what we want to do is open the doors for people to enjoy beer in lots of different ways and uh, create it in lots of different ways and uh, create environments that are different based on the types of people they are, the the things they believe um, rather than saying, well, you're welcome to take part in our, uh, our little bearded white man club. And, uh, I don't know if, you know, despite both of us, me being a guy with a man bun and you being a guy, white guy with a beard. Um, <laughs> I don't think that anyone wants me or you to impart their cultural relevance on anyone. No. <laughs> <laughs> Funny to even say so. Um, well, that's something else that maybe I can form a, a more, uh, uh legible thought on another time, but, but that's something that's sort of been popping into my head for next year too, but we'll see. So that's what Tony and I think is going to happen next year. I want to do one last quick seg here, Tony. Um, this is a, a classic, uh, beer engine podcast segment. We're going to get and take a quick ride in the Brooks capacitor. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Perfect. Yep, we're there. We have entered December 2019, um, where we will be looking at some of our favorite beer professionals' predictions for the year in beer 2020. Uh, it's a little bit unfair, I know. None of these guys were able to predict that a deadly pandemic would would impact their uh, entire livelihood their entire industry that said some of their predictions were stupid anyways so uh tony i'm just going to read these you don't have to uh, do anything with them except just react to them and laugh at them but uh uh kind of the traditional actually method of the brooks capacitor is all you have to do is listen and then say damn that was stupid you're right uh so tony this one's a little jokey this guy's cutting cutting up cutting us all up really with, with some, with some good bits. He's, his name is Aaron Riley. He's the head brewer, uh, for the brew pub at devil's backbone devil's backbone, I think is a Miller owned brewery. If I'm not mistaken. Um, we're just going to check that before I get sued for slant. Please sue me for slander. If I, I love how you're doing research, something bad. research for this one, but won't do um, it for Lacey Sh- Chabert. Lacey Chabert did not deserve my research. Um, actually, she probably did. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who they're owned by, but they're in Virginia. So um, this Seriously. feller says uh, milkshake IPAs and hard seltzers will be combined to create the milkshake hard seltzer, which will sweep the nation. And the subsequent high demand for lactose will affect the dairy market, driving up the price of milk. Also, the haze craze will spread outside the beer world, inspiring hazy Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay, which will be huge in the canned wine segment. So, Aaron, that was funny. 
or was it? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or was that funny? Because guess what? Uh, I was just hearing this week about a new product, Tony, called Smooge. Tony, did you see this stuff? I have not seen Smooge. Do I need to check out some Smooge action? You have to. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to dig, dive deep into the Smooge right here. Um, I'm gonna paste it in here. It's drinksmooge.com, everyone. You guys have to look at this. If you're in Michigan, you already know what this stuff is, probably because it's on the shelves there. Um. Drink Smooge is, uh, it's the OG hard seltzer smoothie. It is just cloudy, thick goop that is hard seltzer. So they have strawberry banana, pina colada, and another flavor. It's 5%. And I believe this is made by, if I'm not mistaken, it's made by Holmes Brewery, a brewery in Ann Arbor, which makes excellent beers. So this is going to be their big like national product, I think. And they are going to make an epic shitload of money off of this stuff, I think, is my prediction for next. If, if I was going to make a prediction, these motherfuckers are about to get rich, uh, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Uh, are you going to get yourself the, these guys, some uh, smooge? You're going to get your hands on some dude, smooge? Dude, I would chill. If somebody, wants to, if somebody wants to send me smooge, knows where I can get some smooge, um, Give me it. I want it. Um, I think it's only in I, I, the only place I can see that it's available is in Michigan right now. Yeah, it's mostly in the Ann Arbor area or in Detroit area. But uh, if this stuff pops up around Chicago or, um, you know, in my uh, future temporary home, I will be uh, I will be acquiring this uh, immediately to try it because it, it honestly sounds delicious. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> take know. it. I mean, I want it. It's only what a three hour road trip. Take the three-hour road trip. Get yourself some smooge. Head on down to Vegas. Yeah. Sounds like a great time. If it weren't, if it weren't three hours in the wrong direction of the twenty-six hours I'm about to have to drive, I would, I would think about it. But, but the smooge. It is. So honestly, this smooge. This guy was right. Uh, so congrats to Aaron. Right, well, at least partially. I don't think hazy Chardonnay popped uh, out yet, but. Uh, Nice prediction. He was trying to do a joke and he ended up making a good prediction, which should tell you um, if you want to make a good prediction about the future, try to tell the stupidest joke you can and you might uh, you might actually get close. Um, here's another one, Tony. This is from Chris Rockwood. He's the head brewer at Magic Hat Brewing, Brewing a uh, brewery you haven't thought of in many, many years uh, or even maybe didn't remember it existed. Not, I'd forgotten uh, I about it. As IPAs have continued to grow and change, a new interpretation of pale ale, lighter in color, less bitter, and far more aromatic than pale ales of yesteryear, is ready to shine, ranging in strength from 4.5 to 5.5% ABV and showcasing flavor profiles from tropical to floral. Tony, this prediction sounded like it was from five years ago. Yeah, this deserves... That is so wrong. Not to say that there weren't any of those beers, but it's not a style that took off. This was all about the haze craze. This was all about some gloop. It only got bigger and bigger. It didn't get clearer. It didn't get lighter. It didn't get less alcohol um, fueled. It, it got this, deeper, nastier, gloopier, thicker. Mm-hmm. These are now thick boys. This style, the style he's talking about took off four or five years ago. It was yep. very popular. And actually some of the beers still are popular, Yep. but not in a new Hot market way. type of way. Like 
So Fist City from Revolution is a good example. Um, I'm trying to think about uh, uh, if you're in St. Louis, Citywide is one that uh, was made by uh, uh, Forehands. Uh, I think one, I, I don't know if I gave you a sidekick from two brothers, Tony, but that was the little brother of outlaw, which was the IPA. I think I gave you, but yeah. that one uh, was a similar type of beer. There's all kinds of these types of beers that were these very Pilsner malt, heavy um, tropical fruit hops, um, you know, pale ales that get produced year round and they're still making money. So he's right about that, but they are not new by any stretch of the imagination. So this guy is, he and magic hat are both in 2014 right now, somewhere else. They're in a different generation. Um, So thanks to Chris for that one. Uh, Here's another one. This one is from a Miller Miller employee. It's a Chris Jergen from Carbach brewing. And him, and here's him answering, you know, what's going to happen in 2020. And he said, if I knew the answer to that question, I would be brewing it like crazy right now. Kind of a good, another, another joke from these, these guys are yeah. real cut ups, aren't they? Um, hard seltzers came out of nowhere this year, but I doubt they are here to stay. <laughs> I still believe that the classic styles will make a resurgence. I think a hybrid of the old school West coast IPA with new school fruity citrus hops will be a leader in the pack. So Chris, I got bad news for you, buddy. <laughs> he got one out of that. The the IPA thing is, is kind of a thing. That's kind of that new West coast yeah. thing that I'm talking about, but his other ones yep. way off base. And even then, the I think that's more a, twi- a trend for 2021, but to say that Celsius are going to fade wrong. Celsius are here forever. Yep. We will never lose Celsius. Um, and, and I think, you know, one, one, one thing to realize uh, is that seltzer and, and maybe some of these lower ABV beers maybe share a category instead of thinking them as separately separate categories. Yep. You have to realize that those two things sort of, um, we'll say they uh, cannibalize each other a little bit. Um, and I don't know if anyone, I, I wonder if we're realizing that or not. I'm sure somebody is, but uh, some of these guys don't seem to be doing it. All right, a couple more, Tony. Uh, here's one from Carl Hines. He is not the ketchup guy. He is the brewer at Breckenridge Brewery in uh, Colorado there. Uh, they made the vanilla porter, great beer. Um, he says, locale beers are a rapidly growing trend in craft brewing, and I also expect that we'll continue to see growth in seasonable approachable fruit sours. Okay. Yep. I'm also really curious to see where IPAs go next. Uh, and, and I think that there is a lot of potential in the brute IPA subcategory. Uh, oh. oh, man. Carl. I thought he was on point then, and then he mentioned brute IPA. <laughs> and I will admit oh, Carl. that... Towards the start of the year, I got sucked into some Brute IPA. I had one that was delicious, but then, oh boy, oh boy, what one reason that, happened? One reason there wasn't very much potential was that nobody knew what it was and nobody could figure out how to make one. <laughs> I think that might have been the biggest problem for Brute IPA. <laughs> yep. No one could describe it because it was purely subjective in, in its taste profile. Um, so there was no real, like, 
definitive methodology for how to make a good one. And uh, nobody ever did. So uh, he, if he's curious to see where IPAs go next, I'll tell you there, I think they have arrived at a temporary destination. I think, I think we're sort of in an IPA. Well, I, I could see what you're talking about with the West coast sort of popping up again. I, I think we've seen some of that here. It ain't going to be brewed IPA though. You know, I think West coast is about as dry as people are willing to get yep. uh, these days. Um, we got two more left here. Uh, these are from some familiar faces. Uh, this one is from a feller named Griff. I think I made this on a podcast maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, this one says, uh, while I expect hard seltzer to continue its rapid evolution, I wonder if both low-cal beer and hard seltzer don't fill the same void in the alcohol marketplace. And then it just says, pushes horn-rimmed glasses up to bridge of nose. Also, I expect the 43% growth of cranberry seltzers to merely be 41%. Gla- Glavin? He said Glavin. <laughs> and then finally, I will spend $1,000 on shipping costs to drink coconut stout. And that is Griff, who who delivered that prediction. You got to say he was right on the money. I do think it's funny when these guys make predictions about like some very specific mundane things, like the growth of cranberry seltzer or something stupid. Um, so you're all dorks, beer blog guys. Just saying. <laughs> And then uh, we got another one here from Tony. This is a prediction Tony gave last year. It just says, uh, beer will give me diabetes, but I will never stop drinking the gloops fart. Uh, thank you, Tony, for that prediction. Oh, you're welcome. And that, that prediction was even more spot on than, than yours. So nailed yeah. it. <laughs> he, he got diabetes. He drank gloop. And I'm sure, I'm sure we've gotten one or two uh, farts in this, even in this hour. So. Not bad, especially if you're hungover. I'm sure you're left and right. <laughs> more, more left. Yeah, I, yeah, that's how I am too, same way. Um, cool. Well, Tony, that was the Brux capacitor. We were we were flying around in this thing, and we saw some pretty bad predictions out there, except for ours, which were insanely accurate. And actually, this guy from Devil's Backbone, I think, got it right. So yep. shout out to that guy and whatever that brewery is and whoever owns it. Um Tony, I got I got no other content. I'm I'm fresh out of content. Cool. I, I think we've done well. I think it's perhaps time to wrap it up. T- tell yeah, people where fun. they can find us. Of course, you can check us out on Untapped. Griff is Griff AD. I'm Saint Moz. Uh, don't use the private messaging feature on Untapped. Just use Dear something God, else. No, do not do it. Griff, yeah, where else can don't. people find them? Our Discord. Yeah, hit us up on the Instagram. We are uh, Beer Engine Pod on Instagram. Uh, you can hit us up on that private messaging function because I know where the button is to look at it. Um, hit us up over email, beerengineshow at gmail.com. Get on our Discord. I'm about to jump over to our Discord right now, see if I can't get a couple of our pals to hang out with us for a little bit after the show. Maybe it's like a post-concert, you know, VIP area. You know, sometimes we'll, we might, you know, peep in there and see what's going on. Um uh, was that it, Tony? We did the untapped thing, so we're we're pretty good. You can check us out on Twitter too, or Beer Engine Pod on Twitter, where I occasionally post, or I'll at least tell you when a new episode's coming out. Yep. Most of the time, so I think that's uh, that's, that's just you. about all. And of course, you can email us. I'm not sure whether you mentioned that. Yeah, hit us up on email. Uh, I will uh, I will generally read your email live on the air. Although I did forget to read the email we got this week from our friends over at uh google i think 
um, who gave us a, oh yeah, no, it was Eugen- Eugenio Warglian, my friend Eugenio, <laughs> uh, over at Audrey.io, the largest community of podcasters. Um, so uh, we have not joined that yet, so we can create our free Audrey profile in one minute. Do you wonder, how, uh, can we grow our show's <laughs> audience for free? Well, we free is the right price, I will say that. Yes. Um, all right, Tony, any, any final wishes for our, uh, our, our friends here? I hope they have a wonderful new year is what I'm going to say. Well, maybe not for our friends, but for you, I just want to give a live update on the uh, basketball right now, which is six mm. days removed from where we are right now. Atlanta Hawks, 115, Chicago Bulls, 83, with nine minutes to play in yeah. the fourth. I, I saw they were down by 30 in the, in the first half. So it uh, looks like the defense is is uh, coming together for, for Billy Donovan. Cool. All right. I hope everybody has a, a lovely new year's celebration. Uh, stay safe out there and we'll talk to you in 2021.